fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Hey everybody, welcome to Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I'm your host and fellow Metallica fan. My name is Brandon. This is part nine of Metallicast Black Summer. We only have one week left after this episode, believe it or not. This is a two for one. We will be talking about two of my favorite Black Album tracks, The God That Failed and My Friend of Misery. And when I say we... I'm talking about me and another person who has been on the show before. I think he is in running with Richard S. He to see uh, who's going to have the most all-time appearances. He is an artist. He is a teacher. He is, of course, a Metallica fan. He is a man who recognizes each and every time he's on the show that I am, in fact, a podcast professional. I, of course, am talking about Mr. Nick Makoviak. Welcome back, Nick. Welcome. Uh, welcome doing your part. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you oh, for welcoming so me. <laughs> Thank you for yes, welcoming welcome, me. Um, welcome. Nobody's ever welcomed me. But it's fine. I'm, well, I'm cool with that. You you basically ran the whole Pusset episode, and I was much appreciative of that. <laughs> that's all right. You can um, tell the summer's starting to wane down. <laughs> yes we are both teachers we're in the final stretch of summer i go back next week do you as well um yeah we go in to like set up our room we start the week after but yeah i'll be going in monday to um go through my orders get my, get my room in you know get my room straightened out so yeah. you know the usual yeah i'll be going yep. in on monday i got a whole week of that meetings planning and then the kids come back a couple days after Labor Day. So it's not yeah. too bad. You know, a week and a half of just that kind of eases you into the school year. But it makes this podcasting thing a whole lot harder. Um, you know, I'm, I'm wondering uh, how my principal will take it when I go in one day and say, listen, I'm quitting. And, he asked, and when he asks me what I'm doing, I'm going to say, well, I've started my own podcast network. Led by a Metallica podcast featuring <laughs> the Corpse Pay podcast. I do not like to brag, Nick, but I have a black metal podcast. And let me tell you, it has about 10 listeners. Sort of a big deal. And let us not forget, uh, a podcast that has not seen the light of day yet, but perhaps will, are, are much rumored, much talked about. We have really been the talk of the podcast industry, but perhaps maybe one day Nick and I will be doing a little teacher podcast. That could get super interesting real quick. Um, yeah, I have lots of stories, but I mean, 10 listeners for a black metal podcast, you're a sellout. <laughs> Fucking sellout. Double digits, you can't have they, that. You're not true anymore. They are all from Norway and Sweden. Does that help? Does that help the cause? Yeah, well, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if you wanted to be true, you have to have like three, you know? <laughs> and you have to make sure that your connection breaks up all the time and that, you know, everything, the volume drops, you know, inexplicably every yeah. couple of minutes. Oh, yeah. Well, and you just have like white noise. That's the, well, That should be the podcast. Well, Nick, you're also explaining Metallicast. 
That's true. That's true. true, true. <laughs> As yeah. Tommy Trink would like to tell you, I lack the production values of other Metallica podcasts, but I'm still a five star show. Yeah, you know what? We have fucking fun on Tommy. Here. Fucking Tommy. He wants to come on my show last week, right? Badmouth my production values, and he's squeaking in his fucking chair. Everybody oh. called them out on social media. Like, oh, like man. you're doing that on purpose to just fuck with my production values. Tommy Trink? If that's even your real name? Sorry, I just got done watching wrestling before. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just... I, I, I could hear that. I was um, I just, like, surf it on YouTube. But, like, to the production point, the last time I was on the episode, I didn't realize you could hear me drink the water so much, and it was so loud and annoying to me. And it, I was so subconscious of it that I think later on that week, I did um, Alpha Metallica, and I actually had the flu... So I was so, so I was so conscientious to not drink water, even though I was, you know, slowly dying and talking to Tom. And my voice just got worse and worse and worse as the show went on. You know, and Tom's like, "Mike, you okay?" I'm like, "Yes." Like Tom, I'll get through it. And then, and then, and then after after it was done, I just you know, hung you know, disconnected everything and just passed the fuck out. So. Listen, yeah that, yeah, that was fun. You are allowed to drink water. If you hear somebody drink fucking water in this podcast, and that is enough for you to not listen anymore, then do not fucking listen anymore. Yeah, <laughs> we are a bare yeah. bones operation here, and uh, it is what it is for right now. Because yeah. you know, I'm I'm in as uh, Tommy Trink said last week. I'm in like my kill 'em all about to maybe blossom into a ride the lightning phase uh so you know you might hear the squeak of a guitar or the drop of a drumstick or a, a voice in the background but we, we keep it punk rock around here you know we keep it mm -hmm. old school thrash metal in the garage around here man none of those black albums shit you know yeah none of this sellout Overproduced bullshit. <laughs> I think yeah, that's you a good... yourself would love to reach one day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's all part of my plan for world domination, and as long as I'm the last man standing, <laughs> there you go. Um, but I think that is a good transition to what our focus is. For this episode, and that of course are, well, two songs specifically, but generally we are celebrating the Black Album this summer, hence the Black Summer series. And Nick, you know, you've been on the show a bunch of times, you've shared sort of how you've discovered Metallica and how you got mm -hmm. into the band, but to backtrack a little bit, what is your memories of hearing the Black Album for the first time? What, um, and where does that album fall for you in the Metallica catalog? Um, with the Black Album, it kind of goes into how I got into the band. Um, when I was younger, like around six, seven years old, when the album came out, I was aware of it, but I didn't know what it was because I was just so young, you know, and growing up with older brother and older, 
you know, neighborhood friends, I didn't really know what what it was. But I remember seeing right. the Enter Sandman video on MTV when MTV used to actually play music videos. So, yeah. and I was aware of the band through there, you know, through that, and I saw them. That's all the Woodstock 94 TV performance. And again, I think I said this before, I was scared out of my mind because I didn't know what the hell it was. But once I got right. into the band, I was, you know, you know, like, oh, I started to put all, you know, connected all the dots together. Um, so the Black Album basically got me into the band and it sits pretty high. Top three albums for me for the band. Yeah, I mean, we have a similar entry point. I remember having two older brothers seeing the Inter Sandman music video on MTV when it was brand new. Um, even though I was young um, and I remember, you know, having my next door neighbor record uh, his sister's copy on cassette for me and then getting that CD in elementary school. It was like the one like real album that I had <laughs> and uh, you know, it was my gateway into the band. So if I, I, I mean, I've said it before, but Master Puppets is probably start to finish my all-time favorite Metallica album. But I think I'd have to put the Black Element at number two. If for, I mean, it's a great record, but more than mm-hmm. anything, it's such a sentimental album for me um, because it was my entry point into Metallica and then therefore my entry point into just a shit ton of awesome music. Yeah. Yeah, same thing. Like, Ride's still my favorite album. But I'd put say Black Album probably like two or three. I would probably can flip this and Death Magnetic. Yeah, you know for, for two or three. But uh, it's I was just listening to the to the um, album this morning was taking my dog for a walk and it's still it holds up so well. The songs are so good. Every the production's yeah. on point. Everything sonically about this album from James's vocals to Jason's bass to Kirk's leads to Lars's drums. Everything is so on point. You know, yeah. I don't think I don't think Metallica has produced a better album since the Black Album, with the I exception think, of maybe Garage Inc. This one. I, I think the only album sonically that might compare for me is Hardwired and Self Destruct. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, I, it's funny you mentioned that because I I mentioned this last week, but it ties in with your point. Uh, I re-listened to uh, a Wolf and Man for the episode last week. And uh, immediately after Wolf of Man finished, The Day That Never Comes came on. And it was, I mean, I love the song. I, I like Death Magnetic a lot. But it was almost mm-hmm. a little jarring how thin sounding uh, Death Magnetic was after listening to the sonic excellence of the Black Album. And Death Magnetic was, you know, over 10 years after that album. Yeah, it, you know, it goes back to the loudness war that was going on at the time. Rick Rubin's, you know, kind of dry production. Um, yeah, you, you you take out those those elements and you actually try to produce Death Magnetic. I would think it would be even ranked even higher in Metallica's discography. But I think because yeah. of the loudness war, the the thinness, the the lack of um, pizzazz on the production. You know, maybe drags down a little bit. Um, right. But yeah, the Black Album, I can listen to that all day, every day, and, you know, not get, you know, sonic fatigue, not get, you know, really fed up with the songs. Even after Salmon, I can listen to that song over and over and over again. Yeah. You know, you know I, it, 
Enter Sandman and a lot of the other hits on the Blackham are not go-tos for me, but when they come on, I enjoy them all the time. And I'm never... um, Like, I'm never leaving early when Metallica finishes a live show with Enter Sandman. Like, I still enjoy watching them and listening to them perform it uh, because they still look like they're having a blast playing it, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, it made them fucking millionaires, so yeah. you know. (laughs) But it's also, too, it's like the simplicity of the song, the immediateness of just how everything is together, you know, the intro the the verse the chorus the solo the outro like the whole the entire that, I mean, that entire song is you know perfectly crafted and yeah i would if i were them i would enjoy playing that song too i mean outside of the fact that yes it made them very very rich and wealthy yeah but you know if they enjoy playing it who am i to tell them no am i gonna go to the james hetfield and say hey you know that song about you know <laughs> you know that song you that you, you were going to write about you know about you know, like you know like murdering your family remember that song <laughs> harvester part two that song you're gonna write <laughs> yeah. you know destroy the perfect family yeah yeah, yeah don't play that song anymore <laughs> it's, a, it's funny to think of how um things could have been different uh we talked about this in uh Part three, when we're talking about holier than thou, or should I see in myself? Because uh, how we we debated how things would have been different if holier than thou was the first single off the record, uh, like they jokingly say Bob Rock originally wanted. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I think they're I think they're dead serious about that. I think it was <laughs> yeah. Lars. Who, Lars was like, um, uh, guys, can't you not hear? Do do you not have functioning ears? Well, I mean, well, I the have, joke you know, is, I have bringing in my ears, and I can, I can hear that Sandman's the obvious. <laughs> you know lead single from this album yeah well uh, the the joke that they make is uh you know they thought it was gonna be the lead single until they wrote the lyrics yeah <laughs> they all have been living in the bay area still <laughs> yeah yeah it could have been very different you know but um the black album it, it's amazing uh reliving this record this summer and how like you said how well it holds up um sonically uh song wise and it it it's just such a perfectly balanced record um Mm -hmm. and i think even on uh i mean even even on metallica records that i really really like um they can be uh a challenging listen from start to finish because they might not be they might not have the same ebb and flow as an album like the black album which has in my opinion a lot more peaks and valleys and uh you know it's just so sonically well balanced that it's not pummeling you uh into oblivion and it's not overly long which has been a complaint for uh you know some recent metallica records and Mm -hmm. it it just sort of escapes all those things that um some haters like to hate on you know Mm -hmm. yeah i mean just the whole album's 12 songs and it's just barely over an hour, which is amazing. You know, that's probably yeah. the one thing I do miss about with Metallica is I do wish that they would have a better balance of longer and shorter songs. Cause I, when I was on Alpha Metallica talking with Tom about now that we're dead, it's a great song. It doesn't need to be seven minutes long. 
Yeah. You know, and that's kind of that I do have to agree a little bit. You know, like I'm not a musician. I'm not seeing how to how they should write their songs, but I do wish there was a little bit more of that balance of having, you know, like long songs and then shorter songs to get to the point. You know, you yeah. could easily trim most of the songs on hardwired down, you know, and they would still have the same punch, maybe even more than, right. you know, than they do. Um, again, not taking away anything from that album. It's, it's, I do enjoy the album quite a bit. But again, with the Black album, it just, it, like you said, it just moves so well. It, it, yeah. One song goes to the next. The sequencing of the album is also very well done, too, where you just have like the heavy head of like Under Sandman, Sad, the fa- you know, it just kind of it flows very, very well. So, yeah. and I don't think, I don't think any out. You know, this is probably the peak of the sequencing of the album, of their albums. You know, after here, like, yeah, load and reload tend to start to meander a bit because, you know, some of those songs are a little bloated and, you know, maybe could have been dropped. But that's a that's a discussion for another time. But, yeah, even the Black album just flows so well. Like, just listening to it this morning, just had it on shuffle. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, fucking holier all through the never gotta fail rome sam like it's just yeah it's a blast it's a well, blast listening to the album and i and i think that's part of the reason not to get too off track here but like you mentioned ride the lightning is uh one of your favorite metallic records and that's definitely top three for me i would say and mm-hmm. i think the the beauty of that record is that it's like a short 45 minutes you're in and you're out and yeah. i find uh nowadays especially when i there's so much music at uh my fingertips um a record that can hit me hard for like 40 minutes it makes me and and that leaves me wanting more to the point where i just listen to the record a second time in a row Mm -hmm. um that that to me is what i would prefer over a lot of records that are you know 80 minutes long um like the the we joked about talking about them before we started recording, but the last ghost record is a perfect example. of this. an album that it, it, it was long enough where I was satisfied. It was short enough mm-hmm. where I was left wanting more. And I remember listening to that record for the first time. And then I immediately restarted it a second time. And it had been a, a while since a record made me want to do that. Uh, but it's just, you know, you leaving you with the need for, uh, or wanting more. Yeah, like yeah, with the late with the last Ghost album, I felt it was it was good. Like I I like I'm, I like Ghost. I'm seeing them in October. Um, I just felt felt there could have been a little bit more oomph with the songs, a little bit more punch, but it was you know, definitely more uh, poppy. a little bit a little bit more mellower, a little bit more poppy. Supposedly. Mm-hmm the next record is going to be a little bit more metal. Uh, They're definitely a band though, that uh, I think similar to Metallica where they find uh, they're pretty good at balancing it. You know, when, even when uh, Metallica gets uh, a little bit pop, it can never be completely classified as pop (laughs) in the traditional sense. (laughs) Right. They're not going to turn into Taylor Swift. You know, it's just, a, it's just, you know, the you know, with Prokel is a very, yeah, a very melodic album. You know, it's got some, you know, the heavy hitters in there, like with Rats, you know, and 
Um, God, what the hell was the song after Rats? Yeah, I, I, the name's escaping, but it has a little bit of a sad but true feel. It's like a very Metallica feel to it. Yeah, and I'm like, and, and, Track and two. they, yeah, yeah, like it just it flows so well. Yeah, you know, I lost track of what I was talking about, but yeah, well, yeah, ghosts. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think of like the trying to think of uh, the the thirst the song after rats. So it, it just it flows so well. I'm gonna look it up right now. Yeah, it's gonna bother me. I'm gonna hear. I'm gonna slap my head, which is how stupid I am. <laughs> ashes, rats. Ashes, rats, faith. Faith, yes, faith. That's, that's, that's so dumb. Yes, faith. <laughs> just like just a heavy. Just again, like even drives home the point even more. You know, and it's. It is like in a way like it is their black album where it, it is a lot more accessible. I know a lot of Ghost fans were not too happy with it because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't Opus, you know. Right. It wasn't it wasn't all ooh boogeyman Satan oh the devil you know it wasn't all that you know like it like right. talking about plagues you know love and shit you know and I I could see people kind of you know getting off the ride and also it's just not. Uh, heavy enough but whatever but i also think too that's part of similar to metallica what's going to bring them into a bigger audience and now you have ghosts playing arenas which not too many metal or rock bands can do these days so yeah yeah and like this is this is their second go around in the states in the last year or two i had missed them Uh, they had played last year at barclays i didn't go but this year they're, they're doing they're going to Trenton in October. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go see them, you know, there. Yeah. So it it is it is rare that that a hard rock heavy metal act can have an arena tour. You yeah, know? yeah, for you sure. Know? I saw them in uh, Porchester, New York. Then I saw them at Barclays in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and then they're playing like down the street from my brother, in like bumfuck new york glen falls new york Mm -hmm. which is not far from saratoga springs for anybody who's familiar with the area who's listening but um it's like a saturday in october like 10 to 20 minutes from where he lives and it would have been the perfect opportunity to go see them again but uh Mrs. Metallica is pregnant, so my baby's ruining that. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but I, yeah. I, I will, I will name my baby uh, Heffield's Papa um, Emeritus. Uh, then my last name. <laughs> mm. Wait, you tell me you almost said on air, but I have oh. a lot of stalkers. Oh, like Tommy Trink, he's stalking me. What your last name isn't Metallicast? No. Oh, is. I thought it was Metallicast. Oh, it is. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. I mean, I know I've, I've, I guess I've said Mrs. Metallicast on the air a lot. So now yeah. we have Mrs. Metallicast and Hatfield's Papa Emeritus Metallicast. <laughs> as well as me, your host, Brandon Metallicast, and uh. Nick, in typical us fashion, we are about 24 minutes in. Have not yet started the topic for today. Well, I think this might be a record. 
under 30 minutes talking about the songs. <laughs> this is a goddamn record, so might as well get into it. For those of you who are interested um, in not hearing about these songs, the chances of us going off the rails again is quite high, so stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, give it like five minutes. So let these are two of my uh, favorite songs on the Black Album. Mm-hmm. Um, probably not a coincidence that they are two bass-heavy songs, and I am a bassist, so I have a soft spot in my heart for them. Uh, mm-hmm. But also just great uh uh like i love how these songs are composed so so it's not getting too confusing um let's take a look at the songs one at a time starting Mm -hmm. with the god that failed yeah um one it's very interesting that they would put two bass heavy songs back to back like that you know, yeah. like I, I find that very intriguing, but it works very well because each baseline is just different enough from each other where it doesn't feel too repetitive. Um, but yeah, God that failed. Um, I'm not going to say it's one of my favorites, but I'm not going to knock the song because I do enjoy it. It's, it's a, just a fucking heavy song. I mean, yeah. You could take any Slayer song, because most of Slayer's songs are like, you know, fuck God, Jesus, and blah, 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 you know, all that kind of, you know, anti-religion shit, you know, right. that they're known for. It doesn't hold a weight to just the simple yet brutal lyrics coming from James's experience as a Christian scientist and watching his mother die of cancer. Yeah. Just how simple the structure of the of the lyrics are doesn't you know it's not like with injustice for all you need to break out of the of the of the thesaurus and having to go through <laughs> you know fucking you know a thousand words per song it's you know very simple you know pride you took pride you feel pride of you felt when you kneeled not the word not the love not what you thought from above just yeah I mean, just how sim- how simple, but yet how effective and how powerful his lyrics are in this song. The music definitely matches it too, where it's just that kind of not droning bass, but it's an ominous bass sound, and then like the guitars kind of go back and forth and trade, you know, in the beginning, and just right. it just it just it gets into in my opinion, sad, but true territory where it is just heavy. It's not crushingly heavy, like sad, but true. This is more like we've tied, you know, we've, we've, we have, we chained an anchor to your ankle and we're just letting you slide <laughs> to the bottom of the ocean. Kind of, heavy, right. <laughs> you know, and you're just yeah, watching it, yourself drown. That to me is even worse. It's that's even worse. <laughs> I mean, the music is somewhere in between on the heavy scale somewhere between sad but true and the thing that should not be i think it has uh like a little it it's somewhere in the middle in terms of like its heaviness and how that riff is just like a chugging riff you know Mm -hmm. but i i love the beginning musically how it builds starting with you know the bass simple drum part 
and then the guitar slowly coming in and then just building to the and it just is very hard hitting when you hear the full band come in at the same time and when i was listening to this song again uh you know i love the the little guitar fills the and I love, uh, I think this is a very underrated performance by Lars Ulrich on the drums. Uh, there's a lot, anytime there's a little space on the guitar end in this song, Lars is filling it with um, uh, some cool fills. And, you know, he it's for a song that's pretty straightforward on the drums, it has a lot of feel and a lot of variety in what he's playing uh, in the fills. Yeah, absolutely. It is you know, in a way, very simple. It doesn't go too, doesn't stray from the trail too much, but it, it does it all, all very well. Just like the little, yeah, there's little guitar noodles here and there. Lars, very tasteful on the drums. His fills are, are just right, right where they need to be. You know, Jason's bass line to me is like the lifeblood of, of the song just kind of care, like rumbles through. Yeah. And, I mean, the bass is supposed to hold together a song and the, I think the bass in this song in particular really just uh, holds it together and just really at the same time pushes the song forward. Yeah, and that's, I don't want to say it's atypical in Metallica songs. It's usually it's the guitar that drives the song forward, not the bass or the drums, but it just, everything holds together very well. And like you said before, like with the heaviness kind of being in between sad and thing, as I said, like, yeah, it's not as heavy as sad but true, but it just, it, it, it it slowly just drags you down. Like that to me is like almost like yeah. minus human, you know, later on in the decade for us. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, and I, and I even, even more to me, it's just like the, the lyrics, the vocal delivery. It's just everything on this song, like with the black album is on point, you yeah. know, it just, just like, just looking at some of the lyrics, like trust you gave a child to save, left you cold in him and grave. Holy fuck! I mean, yeah, it, holy it's, shit. It, I think it's you know uh, something similar can be said from what uh, we talked about in part four of Black Summer. Uh, Brian Silver was on, and we were talking about the Unforgiven. We really got in deep with the lyrics. Uh, the Unforgiven is the song that James Hatfield has gone on record for saying it's probably the most personal song he's ever written. You also have Nothing Else Matters, which was a very personal song for Hatfield. And now you have The God That Failed, which is really, uh, you know, right up there with the other two in terms of um, personal. And it, one of the things we talked about with The Unforgiven is that you're so used to hearing the song that you just sort of sing along with the lyrics, not necessarily really listening to them and breaking them down to what they are saying. Uh, and I mm -hmm. feel like the God that failed is similar where I've, I've, you know, I've been listening to the black Elm since I was in elementary school. I've heard this song thousands and thousands of times, and it's easy for me to sing along to this and not really think about what he's saying. But when you look at it, Holy shit, he's talking about, a child dying because of fucking religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that's dark, deep, personal stuff. <laughs> yeah. As I said before, pound for pound, just 
heavier than any Slayer lyric could possibly be, you know, like, yeah, it, it just, it gets to the point and just like the fact, <laughs> you know, broken is the promise, betrayal, the healing hand held back by the deepened nail. Yeah. What the fuck? Like, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then I mean, it's then it's follow the god that failed. So you're like, what? Wait a minute. Like, it's right. almost you know like there. It's it's a little bit more open ended than most people think. Like it it definitely mm-hmm. is a commentary on that sect of um, Christian scientists and on that cult feel of like having this clout of, you know, the mysterious man in the sky is going to you know solve all your problems and issues. And, you know, don't worry about anything. God will take care of you. And then really seeing this happen, like seeing someone wither away in front of your eyes, you know, no yeah. matter how many, how many, how many, how many rosary beads you have and how many Bibles you have and how many prayers you do, you know, it's, it's very interesting where it's, it's so, it's a very personal, heavy song, but yet I think a lot of people can relate to it. Of just having right. like those, like you, you can even just take religion out of it. Having like, you know, people, you know, not follow through, you know, with their promises, and you feel betrayed because you you put your faith and trust in someone or something, and it lets you down for whatever reason. So, yes, it does yeah. in particular point out. Hypocrisy and you know, in having your blind faith in you know some magical deity, but I think the song can go back even more to just you know putting your putting blind faith in someone or something, and eventually they will let you down. So yeah, that that's where to me it works. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you nailed it, and you made a lot of good points. I mean. I think most people listening to this podcast are hardcore Metallica fans who know the background of James Hatfield in this song. But if anybody does mm-hmm. not, uh, d- rather than dance around it, just throw it out there. James Hatfield was raised in a Christian scientist household, which basically means, uh, to simplify it, uh, you believe that God's going to heal everything. So you do not go to doctors. You do not, um, you know, take medicine. Um, you... Even he, he has said in interviews, even you know, uh, in school he was not allowed to attend health class. That's just not what he, uh, his family believed or his parents believed, um, and he had a hard time with that. And he grappled with that. Then, as a teenager, his mother died of cancer because she did not believe in getting the medical attention. And mm-hmm. uh, when you look at the lyrics, it's about a family losing a child because of uh you know the christian science religion hence the lyrics that you know you you mentioned before um so it, it's not necessarily about his mother but it might as mm-hmm. well be it's i guess semi-autobiographical you know but um just really deep personal stuff and i think you made a good point there too uh you know the the theme that seems to keep on coming up when we talk about the lyrics on the black albums, just how universal they are. I mean, there's only, there's only so many people listening to this record that are going to be Christian scientists, but everybody, you know, a lot of people have a back, uh, have some kind of religious background that maybe they, 
you know, do not agree with or grew out of, or maybe you lost a loved one. You can relate to that part of the song or, you know, what, all the good points that you made as well. Like there's so many different ways to interpret it. Um, and it's funny because this song was so, uh, I feel like the most attacked when the record came out along with don't tread on me for like very different reasons. Don't mm-hmm. tread on me because it was, uh, dubbed like too, uh, overly um, like patriotic and the guy that failed because on paper you're like, Oh, heavy metal, God failed Satan. They worship Satan. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, you fucking idiots. <laughs> yeah, it's like, mm, like, no, that's no, you, you missed the plot. No, that's, that's not it at all. That's, that's and, like, not it at all. Uh, I found uh, a quote from Lars Ulrich in April 1991. I'm using uh, Metallica in their own words, a book by Mark Putterford. And he says, The God That Failed is a personal song for James. It's about this mind-washing Christian science stuff where people think they can go around medicine and be healed of their ills. I know some people will say the God that failed. Isn't that about Satan? No, it's not that at all. <laughs> yeah, like, like to me, like, yeah, cause there's no... Like I said, like, there's no, like, inherent, like, evil figure, like, like the devil in the song. It's, it, it is yeah. just this personal reflection on something you believed in all of a sudden failing you and how angry you feel about that you yeah. know and that to me the, is more powerful than any boogeyman shit that you know fucking you know nihilist or whatever norwegian black absolutely. metal band is gonna yeah, sing yeah. about unless they're burning down absolutely. churches that's a whole different thing <laughs> the, but you can listen for that on the corpse paint podcast available in apple Podcasts and google <laughs> everywhere else you get your podcast <laughs> but um uh no i agree with you and this is uh you know there's a great interview that james did um for metallica classic albums all a, a great documentary they did in the early 2000s about uh the black album um or i guess it was like it must have been like 99, 2000, somewhere around there. It was a little bit, it was before Jason Newsted left the group. Um, mm-hmm. But anyways, they, they, they really break down the record and the recording process and the writing process. Um, and there's a part where he talks about the God that failed. And he says, you know, he's not attacking religion. He's not against religion. Um, he, you know, he thinks even looking back, he can see some good qualities that, you know, uh, that the that the religion has and that he can kind of you know adopt into uh his life even but you know it's at the end of the day it was just uh, he's writing about his personal experience you know where you you mentioned slayer a couple of times uh and, and carrie king if he writes um you know an anti-christ song it's not even because he's a satanist it's because he's anti-religion and he's against religion and, and like that's his like platform but that that is not the intent of James Hetfield, which is confusing for people who do not perhaps understand his background or understand the band or just lump all heavy metal into the same category. Because there is such a big um, uh, dog and pony show about Satan in heavy metal music. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all it's a crux that people like to like to lean on. You know, it's that. Yeah, it's it's the easy go to. 
you know, when you need something to, to sing about or write about. It's like, oh, I'll write about the devil. And that's not what this song's about at all. Like you said, it just it's a very personal song that you can turn and relate to anything in your life, which again is the beauty of what James does with his lyrics. He, like he can implicitly write about one thing, but it could also have several other meaning, you know, layers to it. So right. that's what I really that's why I really enjoy the God that failed. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's something that's come up in the Black Summer series too, is just how uh, when you the way he writes, and I and this is what I love about a good lyricist, it, it, there's just it's universal enough that even if it's specific to him, you know, he's um, whether it's the way it's worded or the fact that he's singing from a third person perspective, even if it's about himself, like it's so easy to relate to his lyrics, even if you did not walk in his shoes and experience the same exact things. Because you can interpret it and relate it to what it means to you, which is, I think, such a powerful thing and a huge, huge reason why Metallica became the massive success uh, that they are, especially following this record. Yeah, just that the universal the, the universal appeal of his lyrics, you know, right there made made this album, you know, expand. What is it sold like? What? 25 million records doesn't it still sell like a thousand copies a week they say that um i do not want to ruin it for everybody but um it was in the billboard 200 every week till i started recording the black summer series (laughs) that is the power of metallicast um but i'm actually before i forget i'm actually going to look at the billboard 200 right now and I'm going mm-hmm. to do a quick scan, and I'm going to see Nick Makoviak. If you are the savior of the Black Album, uh, no, it's it, it's been in like the Billboard 200 for like over 500 weeks, but not consecutively since uh, mm. it's released. But it does sell something crazy, like uh, a thousand copies a week. Or if, if you look, even if it, when it's not on the Billboard 200, if you look at like the rock charts. It's always in the top five or top ten. You'll have like, like the brand. I'll just use this as an example. Uh, the brand new Slipknot record will be number one, and the Black Album will be like number two. <laughs> How ridiculous that is! It's insane. Um, all right, this is taking a while to load. I'll pull it up later. Remind me before we wrap up. Billboard right. two hundred and its placement. So uh, yeah, that never happened. Nick never reminded me. And um, here to tell you, now that I'm editing this show, that, yeah, Black Elm, still no Billboard 200. You are welcome, Metallica. On with the show. Um, But I do have some more quotes here that I think uh, give a little bit more insight into the song before we move on to My Friend of Misery. Uh, Producer Bob Rock told Music Radar, The God That Failed is deep. It's not just a cheap shot at religion. It's him tackling the subject in a very complex manner. Emotionally, it's as real as nothing else matters. Uh, he also goes in to talk about guitarist Kirk Hammond and working with him on this song. Working with Kirk on this song was interesting, and this goes for the whole record, too. I was told that he'd come in the last few weeks of making a record to do his guitar solos. I told everybody right off, well, that's not how we're going to do things. He's going to play live like everybody else. 
At first, Kirk was very uncomfortable with this approach, but he was game and played what he thought were guide solos. In many cases, including this one, his first ideas were the ones that we'd go back to and use them doing overdubs. He learned how to be spontaneous, which I thought was interesting because now, like on the latest record, Hardwired, Kirk has said in interviews, his solos were pretty much entirely improvised. And it'd be, mm-hmm. it, it, I feel like this is kind of the start of that for him, working with Bob Rock on songs like The God That Failed. Yeah, but, I, but with that, I, I think Bob gave him more structure as opposed to Kirk coming in and just winging it, as he said in the videos and, and watching him do it. You know, I do feel that, um, like, it definitely worked, but I think because Bob also was, you know, he's a little bit more of a hard ass and, like, probably gave Kirk some freedom, but not total, total here. Just go, go play, you know, go play 20, 30 takes and we'll take the best four and mash them together. Oh, sure, definitely. And he has, uh, you know, Lars coaching him through it uh, so he can get the best rock star solos out of him. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Another quote, I'm not sure where this one's from. I found it on Wikipedia, so for all I know, it could be made up. (laughs) But James Hetfield describes the song as very nice, slow, heavy, and ugly, which I think is a pretty good description. And and it and like I said before, with that description, it fits in alongside "Sad but True" and the thing that should not be. Um, mm-hmm. And then a little bit more insight into the guitar solo song. Uh, Kirk Hammett says, "I had this whole thing worked out, but it didn't fit because the lead was too bluesy for the song, which is characterized by real heavy riffing and chording." Um, according to Hammett, he and producer Bob Rock worked out his guitar solo on the song. Together, they composed a melody to which Hammett wanted to add harmony. The producer suggested that this would make the song sound too, quote, pretty, and instead recommended playing the melody an octave higher. The final guitar solo was put together from over a dozen performances by the guitarist during the recording of the album. Hammett calls the resulting work one of his favorite solos on the album, which I thought was interesting because I think it's a solid solo, but I would not put it up there as one of my personal favorites. Um, no. No, for me, that would be the next song that we're going to talk about. But, yeah. Uh, One thing I do want to mention uh, as we wrap up here is uh, one thing that stood out to me uh, is kind of the song has a little bit of unique structure in the sense that typically after the guitar solo, you'd go into the chorus and then you start wrapping it up. This song follows that, but after the chorus, it goes back into the verse and then goes back into the final chorus. Yeah, yeah, I thought that that was a little unique <laughs> too. I was listening to it again, like, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, it does kind of like, it doesn't completely do a U-turn, but it's like, yeah, kind of like it's a K-turn a, on the same street, like, oh, oh, okay, all right, you know. It's like they right. almost used the chorus as a bridge, similar to kind of what they did in Sabatru with, uh, you know, I'm your brain. That yeah. section, but it's but it it's but it's presented in the God that failed the same way as they present the chorus. So it's not really a bridge. <laughs> but it fits into like that it like fills the spot of like an absence of the absence of one. <laughs> right. You know, I again I'm not gonna be too critical of their songwriting and structuring of you know of, of, of this you know, their riffs and whatever. But yeah, it, it, that has always stood out to me 
of like, ah, oh, it's a little, it, it doesn't take me out of the song by any means. It's just, it is one of those things where you go, oh, that's a little different. Okay. And just, move, you know, just keep going on yeah. know, with the song. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was probably an intentional uh, thing, either because it was different or just it was what felt right or whatever. Uh, the other thing musically about the song that I always liked was the very, very end. And after the heavy part, the guitar just plays those few clean notes. The bum, 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 bum. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a nice little little cherry on top at the end, at the end of that. You know. Yeah, and I always or, thought that was sort of a unique thing, um, especially in the metal world at that time. Yeah, or to go along with my previous metaphor, that's the last glimmer of light you see before you completely black out from being, you know, drudged under the water, you know, with that anvil sliding down, you know, with your ankle tied to it with the song. <laughs> so it's the last flicker of light you see before before, before everything just gets cut out before you die. Uh, all right, sir, so live stats it has been performed do you want to guess this is according i have my number from metallica.com i'm not sure Mm -hmm. if you uh looked it up beforehand or if you want to take a guess as to how many times the god that failed has been performed to date 100 exactly 100 times probably 101 with where are they playing today they're i think they're in poland today they're in Poland, so it'll probably be 101 and, today. Yeah, it, it's been it's been one of the deep cuts that they have been rotating on and off in the current run, which leads me to believe, if we build off our last conversation about S and M, that mm-hmm. I think we're going to get the God that failed with the symphony for S and M two. I I suspect that too. I mean, it's been in very steady rotation for this European arena tour, so. One one could suspect, yeah, they're gonna bust out God that failed, which I would not, uh, I would not be too upset about that. <laughs> I'm pretty happy. I'm, like, I'm not gonna I would, like. I would not be upset at all by that. Um, yeah. You know, and it just sounds amazing live too right now. Like James is killing. They're oh, all killing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I've said this before. I'll say it again right now. I think the band sounds the best they've ever sounded on their, on the current tour. Um, I, the band sounds super tight. Um, I feel like James vocally, uh, he, he had some, he never sounded bad, but he had years where he was sort of adjusting to, um, you know, singing some of the higher range stuff and the older material and finding the balance between the old, like, yeah. And the newer, like, yeah. (laughs) And I feel like on the current tour, he's found uh, a lot more of that balance. And uh, there's times when I hear him sing a song like Metal Militia, and I'm like, uh, wow, he's he's really pulling that off. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, he has a a good, like a nice velvety grit to his voice now. Yeah. So it doesn't really sound like he's struggling too much. Like he, like, you know, it's weird, you know, dovetailing off. 20 minutes took 20 minutes. So it's a record record for us. <laughs> but just seeing them between 2003 and four, I see him at giant stadium in 03 and then at continental in 04, like in 2003, James had, you know, like coming back from his rehab world tour, his voice was really good. But then in 04, 
he just sounded just kind of there. I don't want to say wimpish, but yeah. his voice didn't really have that oomph and power to it. It, it sounded like he was strained and, and struggling a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll take this over that yodeling shit he was doing 20 years ago. So, <laughs> I, I remember seeing. I remember seeing Summer Sanitarium 2003. So they were playing uh, some St. Anger stuff on that tour since they were promoting that record. And mm-hmm. I remember they played the song St. Anger and Hatfield kept on like running out of breath during the verses to the point where like he had to make a comment after like making fun of himself. Like, oh, that's a hard song to sing. Granted, mm-hmm. it was like the first night of the uh, the tour and, you know, they're just like getting warmed up. But like, I feel like James Sanford in 2019 would not have that problem. No, he definitely doesn't have that problem. So, and he's just been like the band's been killing it. God that failed, been on the, pretty much been a a, a set list staple since May. Yeah, uh, but when yeah, they I, started, I, when they started the European run that first night, and they pulled out some of the songs that they did. Basically, every Metallica fan just had a huge erection and jumped on Twitter and everywhere else to like talk to each other. Like, did you see they play this song? Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, that set list made everyone H A R D. So <laughs> it was, it was yeah. I mean, but but then it just kind of settled in real quick. Of like, oh yeah, they're just playing these songs. Okay, so yeah. but it was interesting that they bust out disposable and and ride and all that. But um, oh yeah. You know, we'll Let's, see. We'll see because we're we're getting into like the last three dates of this European run. Yeah, and I don't know if you've been reading, but uh, apparently they've been been rehearsing some songs that might be on, at SM two. They have been playing throughout their European run. One of them deals with some someone uh, calling somewhere. Some octopus Ooh. thing. Ooh. So, so I'm also you know. I'm also interested to see in SM two if we see some load reload stuff because the first SM had a heavy portion of that stuff since those since those were like the recent records and that stuff's really mm-hmm. with the exceptions of like fuel and the memory remains a lot of that stuff has fallen out of the set list in recent years so it'll be interesting to see if they what they pull out of that. Well, the other thing that was leaked was um, the ending track to Metallica's sixth studio album was heard being rehearsed. Very interesting indeed. That'd be, I, so, I mean, I would geek out over that for sure. Oh, yeah, I, I would too. But, you know, the more I think about it, I'm like, all I want is Orion. Just give me Orion. I don't need to figure anything else. <laughs> You give me Orion, they could literally play the exact same set list. Like, just give me Orion. <laughs> Orion would be because I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I don't think we're, I don't know, I don't think we're gonna get Fixer. I would love to, I would love to get Fixer. I don't think we are. Yeah, but I think just Orion's a realistic. Orion. I think, I think Orion's a realistic request because they've actually pulled it out a lot uh, since Rob Trujillo has joined the band, um, and they've made it like a focal point of certain things, whether. Uh, you know, it's to pay tribute to Cliff Burden or they were playing Master Puppets from start to finish or even um, at the very end of uh, Through the Never when they, you know, the lights are up and the, the arena's empty and they jam through Orion. Like, it's been like a, a focal point in recent years. So I feel like that would 
more so than any other instrumental. And I feel like that is a realistic possibility. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I mean, I I think going back to your predictions, I think you're right. I think we're going to get two instrumentals. But that's just, that's neither here or there at this point. So <laughs> if you want more SM talk, check out the SM episode featuring Nick Bukowiak. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, from four months ago when we were like, you know, really HARD, you know, <laughs> about it. Well, here's some, uh, here's some listener input on the God that failed the pizza at M P R A U 88 on the Twitter says God that fails might be the heaviest track on the black album. And then all caps, he wrote, yeah. So I guess I have to say that like Hatfield Ralph M. Savetto, my buddy, Ralph hashtag be like Ralph. Ralph. Ralph's the man, right? Ralph is the man. He is on flick chat. Are you on flick chat? Nick Makoviak? No, I don't even know what the fuck that is. So you've not been listening. The truth is out. So you should download FlickChat along with everybody else. What FlickChat is, it's a free app. It's basically a forums for podcasts. If you download it for free and search the group and search Metallicast, you'll, you can join the group. And it's basically a Metallica forum and a Metallicast forum. Uh, it's growing slowly but surely. Uh, but it, all most people who have been on the podcast or who I interact a lot with on the Twitter uh, are on there. Uh, obviously, there's a few exceptions, like yourself, Nick Makoviak. But the Ralph prefers to write in FlickChat because he has no character restrictions like he does on Twitter. When he used to write oh. to me on Twitter, yeah, I'd be yes. reading, you know, like ten. It'd be a whole thread, you know. I'd be reading like ten tweets. Um, mm. But he writes on the God that failed. On first glance, one might think this is an anti-religion or Christianity song. However, if you read farther into Hetfield's history, it becomes rather clear that the song deals with his Christian scientist's upbringing. One of the tenets of this sect's beliefs deals with the fact that God literally heals all. This belief, unfortunately, led to the death of his mother from cancer at a relatively young age, as well as some other negative consequences during his youth. Musically, the song starts with a cool drum-bass intro that leads into some nice rhythm guitar work by head, going into the main riff, and yes, that's the sound of a pump shotgun you hear. Actually, that might be true because they do show that a year and a half in life. Of Metallica. Oh yeah, we completely <laughs> da, 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 forgot da. about that. Holy <laughs> shit! That's awesome. Good job, Ralph. Why is it Ralph on this episode? <laughs> well, <laughs> literally every single week, right? Every single week, uh, I read what Ralph writes, and it's basically like a thirty-second to minute overview of everything we just spent an hour talking about. And I'm like, I could have just read this and been done. And every yeah. single week, people are like, when's Ralph coming on this podcast? I'm working on it. We're going to make it happen. Ralph will, Ralph's coming on the show soon, hopefully, um, Thank God. if our schedules line up. Uh, but yeah, everybody wants Ralph on the show and because he rules. Uh, he continues, there's a cool Hammond solo towards the middle, serviceable but not spectacular. There's also uh, excellent layering of Het's uh, vocals throughout, which really adds to the atmosphere. Percussively, Lars does a great job and even adds some shakers or something like that throughout, too. Lastly, saw this only once performed live way back in 1994. Wouldn't mind at all. They busted it out in future performances for sure. Mm. So there you go. And and, and if you're wondering what the what Ralph has to say about My Friend of Misery, no worries. 
That will be coming up later in the episode. Um, oh, thank God. <laughs> Ralph's the thank man. You, he writes, every week I post the question, what are your thoughts on this song? I post it on you know Facebook and Twitter and FlickChat. And every week he writes this eloquent response. I used to get a lot more responses on FlickChat. And I think now people just gave up because every week people would be like, what Ralph said. <laughs> yeah, what Ralph said. Um, but uh, to wrap up this song, not this episode, but to wrap up this song, uh, I'm going to play right now a cover of The God That Failed. This is from... Uh, I, I was familiar with the band. but was not familiar with the cover. It's from uh, The Metal Hammer Tribute to the Black Album. I've been playing several of these songs on... Um, throughout the black summer series and some of these songs are you know only have one or two covers out there unlike a nothing else matters which has thousands um but the band is called fin troll one word f-i-n-n troll they are a folk metal band from finland and this is them playing the god that failed
So, Nick Makoviak, yes. are you ready? Mm-hmm. Are you ready to talk about what is probably my personal favorite song on the Black Album? My friend of misery. Yeah, I completely agree. It's actually probably, it's actually my favorite song off of uh, the Black Album too, and in fact, um, I completely forgot. Like when we talked about doing this this episode for the podcast, I forgot we were doing the God that failed until you reminded me yesterday <laughs> or Monday, whatever the fuck it was. I'm like, oh shit, we're gonna talk about that song too. Oh, well, okay. Just for your information, when uh, at the be before the summer, when I was throwing out feelers to see who was interested in coming on and uh, what you know what, uh, I voted for. What, I, what I said my friend you, of misery. You you said both. <laughs> I did. You yeah, were like, I it was... no. I think what happened was, um, I was looking for two songs to group together because I wanted to do twelve songs over ten weeks. Um, because once the school year starts, as you know, our schedules are going to get a little crazy, um, and mm-hmm. I cannot guarantee you a, a weekly episode at that point. As much as I would like to do it, um, after Black Summer is done, Metalcast will go back to monthly, and. Uh, but anyways, um, you were like, oh, I think The God That Failed and My Friend of Misery would go well together. And I was like, all right, I'll put you down for those two songs. Granted, <laughs> granted, that was back in like May or early June. And we were both like zombies heading, crawling towards summer break. So uh, I, I do not blame you at all. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wait, did I did I agree to uh, like, oh, whatever? They're both they're similar enough. So that works. <laughs> Well, it's similar enough in the sense that we have uh, another great bass intro from one Jason Newstead. Um, but this bass intro is unique. It, in my opinion, The God That Failed, like I said, the bass kind of uh, drives it forward. This creates an atmosphere. And mm-hmm. uh, the cool thing about this, I think, uh, well, this is a, a Jason Newstead composition. It's the My Friend of Misery is one of only three co-write credits he received Um while in Metallica, Blackened and Where the Wild Things Are being the other two. Um, and it's funny because uh, Where the Wild Things Are is a pretty atmospheric song, and My Friend of Misery is a pretty atmospheric song. Um, and Blackened is about the atmosphere being destroyed. <laughs> it all ties in. Um, and, yeah. But I, I've always been a huge, huge fan of this bass line. I remember being in middle school and any live video I could get of Newstead playing this, whether it be cunning stunts or a bootleg or whatever, I would just watch that clip of him sitting. I can picture in my head. I've not seen it in years, but he's sitting on the steps uh, of the stage and he has his bases in and he just, you know, breaks into the, uh, this baseline. And it, and as he continues, you know, they, he builds on it and sort of, uh, goes in a slightly different directions than what uh, you hear on the record, but the core he's playing it and he's playing what you hear on the album. And I've always just been a huge, huge fan of this one. Yeah, I have too. Like this is this is like probably my favorite song off the Black Album, and and a lot of it is with <clears throat> the opening bass line. The especially we get to the middle, like just the fantastic guitar work, atmosphere, solo, yeah, everything with the songs. I know 
originally Jason wrote this song thinking that there would be an instrumental on the album, had there had right. been in the previous three albums. Yeah. So he originally wrote it to be that way, and they added, some, you know, and it was decided that it would be good to have vocals on top of the music. And I was just thinking about how, like, listening to it today, it would work pretty well without the vocals, too. You know, yeah. it's very similar to the Call of Cthulhu, where they actually wrote that song for vocals and decided not to add any. Right. Which is why it's kind of repetitive, which, you know, we've talked about before. Yeah. You know, where it is kind of, it's repetitive in parts. This would would work, again, either way. I'm glad they put vocals on top of it anyway. But it, it would be, it could be, it could work very well with or without. And a lot of that is due to, you know, that just amazing melodic atmospheric baseline working its way throughout the song coming back in the middle section of the song so and then just again hold holding it together all throughout this this really is an you talk about an underrated metallica song i'll put misery up there with eye of the beholder yeah i mean i i i think what stands out to me for this song is and do not get me wrong i the Black on Musical.ly is genius from the standpoint of, like, the amount of amazing riffs, um, like, searing guitar solos. Uh, but, like, when I go through, when I've gone through the Black Summer series, I want to address the songs musically, but there's so much more to talk about with the songs lyrically, I feel like, most of the time. Because a lot of the mm -hmm. Black Album songs are so uh, concise uh, that they're just more straightforward. You know, when I did In Summer For All... I could go into weird time signatures and uh, the crazy, you know, 10-minute song structures. But for a song like Inter Salmon or even Holier Than Thou or, like, so many of these songs are based largely around one riff, maybe two riffs or a variation of riffs or, or a variation of the same riff. Um, this is a song, though, My Friend of Misery is a song that I feel like there's a lot more to talk about from a musical standpoint than... Uh, a lyrical standpoint. Nothing against the lyrics and the vocal performance, because I think they're fantastic too, and we'll get to them. But mm -hmm. what I also think is different about this song is that I'm, I cannot approach talking about this song musically from the same standpoint either, because you know there's not a million riffs, there's not a crazy time signatures, there's not uh, an overly complex technical guitar solo or anything like that. But what it has is atmosphere, mood, and when you listen to the song, there's so many beautiful layers that, and when I say beautiful, I mean that in it sounds beautiful, but in a, such an eerie, dark way. And yeah, you, yeah. and it, for example, uh, at about a minute thirty into the song, uh, during the verse section, you hear a very subtle like guitar melody in the background, and then. Uh, that's just one small example. The the real big example is when that bass line, like you mentioned before, returns. And we start entering that solo section. And it, it, the, the guitars have that, that, like those little swells, right? And it, mm -hmm. it's something that reminds me a lot of... Um, it, it reminds me of Orion, 
the dun, the dun, 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 section. And it reminds me mm-hmm. a lot of To Live Is To Die. Um, in that middle section, with when you get into like the cleaner part. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It it has a similar vibe as both those things. And when you are really listening to the... Um, when you really listen to the track, there's even more to it There's that, that Metallica had not really done before. In addition to the bass, in addition to the little guitar swells, and this is about 3 minutes, 20 seconds into the song, you hear like a, a synth in the background, like a keyboard in the background. And it's just like one tone. And then once in a while you hear like a little flourish or like a little percussion instrument. And it's very subtle. It's hidden in the background. And it's, but it's not something you would necessarily notice on the first listen, but you would notice it if it was not there. Yeah, yeah like I was saying before, um, that middle section is astonishing, which is why it could work with or without vocals. Because <clears throat> that totally, like, even me saying, like, going back to, like, the Cthulhu example, I didn't even connect the Orion and To Live Is To Die part where it is that middle section, that total, that total melodic breakdown area of the song. It just, it works so well with like, yeah, that, that weird little tone. And there's like little, like, like, like little musical flourishes here and there. And I remember reading in a, I don't know if you remember going to like the CD store and they would have those little books that'd be the size of CDs. I don't know if you ever saw those before. Yeah. And I had I one. Yeah, so I had the Metallica one that, that came out right before Load came out. And there was a track-by-track track breakdown of um, of every song they had until that point. And with My Friend of Misery, I remember the description of the song. It was like a black rose coming into bloom. Where it is just this very dark, quote unquote, but yet beautiful song. Right. You know, it's not yeah. super fast. It's not super slow. It's not sludgy. It's not. You know, it it, it doesn't wander off into different sections like Injustice for All would. It's it's middle middle road, tempo wise, but. There is just something hauntingly beautiful about the song that I just think yeah. fits hey, so well. I think it's I think that's an interesting point because this song has a it it's heavy and has a lot of punch, but it does not hit you the same way sonically as a lot of other Metallica songs. Or even going back to just the God that failed the track before, again, kind of similar with, with the bass intro. It's not that heavy. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna drag you to the bottom of the ocean kind of feel to it. Yeah. You know, it, it it's almost like if you were standing, like the way I've always felt, especially the middle part. It's like if you're standing in the field at midnight, but then you just see like all the stars out on the horizon, and you just see a comet go by. That to me is the is my friend of misery musically. Yeah. Like it's very, it is very dark, but yet it, there's a brightness to it. There's there's a levity to it. There's something almost mystical about, especially that middle section, which, which man, like just to build out on, you know, to build out the song from there. And I've always heard, and I don't know if this is true, 
uh, there is some musical sampling in My Friend of Misery that they haven't quite um, revealed. It's like hmm. with um, it's like with Don't Turn on Me to have a little part of America from West Side Story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that or, or my confusing. Am, am I confusing that with Unforgiven? I think Unforgiven and well, My Friend the, of Misery. The Unforgiven has the trumpet sample that has been like reversed at the beginning of it. Okay, yeah, I know I know there's that. And then yeah, I think Don't Tread on Me has the homage to America from West Side Story. Story. This is this I've not heard about from my friend of misery, so I'm I'm intrigued. Yeah, I mean maybe I'm confusing this with Unforgiven. But I wanna say it was like in that in the in the middle section of misery, there's a little homage somewhere to some to something else. But I'm, again Maybe I'm crossing Unforgiven with this song too, but regardless, it's it's still a, a really really good, amazing section. It's just yeah. for whatever reason that thought's in my mind. Well, if anybody uh, can wants to add on this, then please reach out to me on social media at Metallicast Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or download Flick Chat. Um, and we'll start the conversation there. And if there's something I need to add on next week before we wrap up Black Summer, I definitely will to build on to that. Um, yeah, Ralph, and- Ralph, depending on you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, come on, come Ralph. Ralph. Come on. Well, I've, on not, I've not fully read through his uh, his statement about my friend of misery yet. So uh, for all I know, he has it in there. So we might have the question answered <laughs> before. Or Kevin Van Dam. He's got the answer somewhere. Well, funny you should mention that because, um, well, Next week, wink, wink is all I'm saying. <laughs> oh, um, but uh, a couple other things about my friend of misery. At uh, after the like uh, intro bass line comes back, and it you kind of have this guitar solo. That whole section I just talked about. At about three minutes fifty three seconds, uh, you hear a guitar coming the and this is the first time on a metallica record where to me it sounds like it's got a little bit of a country twang to it and it sounds like something right off load and reload <laughs> mm-hmm. foreshadowing you know this song has a lot of foreshadowing to it so yeah yeah and even just watching right before well, before we signed on, I was watching a live performance from Australia, and yeah, just when they break into that section, I'm like, oh wow, like that's some nice and that's some pretty nice effects for that for that you know for that part. Yeah. So yeah, and the album definitely has a little country twinge to it, you know, a little twang, but it's not <laughs> it's not Mama said, right? You know, yeah. It's not Ronnie. It's definitely it's, it's not even the Unforgiven too. Yeah. But it, it's, not, it's, it's not the Unforgiven too. But it's there, and you can hear it. And it's it's funny. That one of the biggest takeaways uh, from Doom Metallicast that I've received about this band, and, and of course, they're my favorite band. I've listened to every record thousands and thousands of times, and I feel like I know their catalog inside and out, you know, just from repeat listens. But as, when you approach it with an ear that where you're like, all right, I need to talk about this for at least 30 minutes <laughs> you, mm-hmm. you start really breaking down the songs a lot more uh than you normally would and uh one thing i've really 
that really resonated with me is how everything in the career of Metallica, it's sort of like foreshadowed into like their next thing, even if it's not obvious. Like, um, mm-hmm. for some reason this summer, I disappear. It just keeps on coming on shuffle repeatedly. Every time I hit mm-hmm. shuffle on my phone, I disappear comes on. And I'm listening to that song. I'm like, if you take away the the clean production, and I could kind of see this fitting right onto Saint Anger. There's no real yeah. traditional guitar solo. It's very groovy. Mm-hmm. Like it sounds like something that they would write during the session and would have put on that record. If you if you if you added like another section to make it, uh, you know, at least a six minute song. And yet, added the Saint Anger production to it. It would be a Saint Anger song. Well, I think even the snare has kind of that sound to it too. All right. So as I was saying before, um, I don't know if it's just me that noticed this, but um, the outro to the song, that drum fill that Lars does, I know he does it somewhere in the song too. To me, it's very similar to the intro drum fill with Enter Sandman. I don't know if that's just me. Hmm making that up but it sounds familiar enough yeah so interesting i don't know if that's something you caught or just me just making things up did not catch it you're talking about for my friend of misery yes for my yeah, friend did of misery not catch it, but now i want to go so, back and listen to it again and check that out <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's you know it's it's the last part you know the last part of the song that do, 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 you know at the very very end yeah. of the song you know over the over the solo in the vocals, that kind of outro drum part to me sounds like the intro drum part to Enter Sandman. They're they're very similar, you know, maybe because they're you know he's hitting toms and whatever, but it it has that same you know almost kind of militant beat to yeah. it. Yeah, I can I can hear that for sure. One thing that I stumbled upon in my research for this was uh, a quote from, uh, well, two quotes from, one from Bob Rock saying, it started out with uh, his intro, his, of course, being Jason Newstead. So a big part of working on this track was spent developing a great riff into a song that would take flight and really go places, which it does. It builds and builds quite nicely. Uh, And then a quote from Jason Newkid Newstead himself. Uh, telling Billboard magazine he was particularly pleased with his contribution to the song. That was a moment, he says, where those guys kind of bowed and said, here you go, man, put your song on there. Being the guy who came up with that, he said, as opposed to being part of the team, I got to be by myself for a minute there, which was a real accomplishment. I would say so. I mean, considering, uh, you know, the the famous uh, critique of Injustice for All, one album earlier, is that there is no bass. And now you have not only a bass showcase throughout the album, but two songs in a row with a bass introduction, and uh, one of which that he composed. Uh, it's pretty quite remarkable. And, of course, uh, needless to say, adds to the sonic excellence of the Blackout that we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. As I said before, it just it's such an underrated song, you know, and I do wish they would have played it more times. I have exactly how many times they played it here yeah. live, which is a damn shame. 18 I times. I saw that and I really had no clues. I'm like, I know this song's not been performed a lot, but still that number kind of stood out to me as like, that's it. 
since 1991. Yeah, I, I thought I, I thought like I thought maybe like 20, 25 yeah. times. I'm like, I know they did the whole black the whole black album thing, which I was lucky enough to see the Orion one in Atlantic yeah. City, so I was able to see the entire album. But then we played it one other time in Melbourne, Australia, in 2013, like a couple months later. And I'm like, that's it. I thought they played it more times yeah. after that, but no, just yeah, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna we're gonna play the God that failed a hundred times. I thought <laughs> that sounded about right. So they played it. They played it in '94. Yeah. You know, and they and they, and they busted it. And they've back been playing out it every other show. In 2004. Yeah, and they've been playing it every other show just on this current run. So. Yeah, so, you know that adds up quickly. But I'm like, my friend of misery. I'm like, damn, I would love. I would love to ha- hear the song with all I, I think this. I don't think it's gonna. I don't think I it's gonna think, happen. But I think I when you were on it. and we talked about SM, I think when we made our dream set list for SM2, I'm pretty sure I could be wrong, but mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that this song was on uh, both of ours. I think that was one song that we agreed upon. But it, it's one of those songs like yeah. Fixer. Um, I mean, at least they've performed this song live before, but uh, it's one of those songs like Fixer mm-hmm. or Eye of the Beholder, which is just one of those tracks that's like. There's no way. There's no way. <laughs> yeah, there's no way. But then when they do it, you're like, yeah. oh, man. Oh, shit. They do, they're doing it. Exactly. I, I do want to talk about the lyrics a bit. Um, uh, like I said, I think the most interesting part about this song for me is the music, which is a bit different than the rest yeah. of the tracks in the Black Album. Um, and and again, no offense to the, to the sound musically. I think it's superb. But... Uh, I little side story. I remember being a freshman in high school and I had my mandatory health class and we were doing, um, some kind of project on, I guess it must've been about mental health. Like we had a research, you know, depression or things like that. Um, and we had to, you know, bring in a poem or a song or something that, uh, related to, um, our subject and whatever my partner and I had, uh, I forget, but all I remember was that we were able to, uh, bring this song in to play for the class. <laughs> Here you go, my teacher win. made it, um, uh, about to the guitar. So then he was like, there's not even any words turned this song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, Teacher had no I know. taste. Not as not as good as the time when I did uh in I think it was eleventh grade, I did uh a book report on Johnny Got His Gun and then played uh the music video version of one for the whole class. Um and the my teachers did hmm. let me play the full version and they were big fans. So um I got an A plus for that one. Thank you, Metallica. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I I think I relayed this story last year during the Injustice for All one, but uh, I did a book report on Lord of the Flies, and I compared the, the book to Harvester of Sorrow, and how everything lined up with what was going on in the story. Yeah, and A plus. So, yeah, <laughs> thank you guys. I needed that. Um, a... a pass on. Past junior English because of the talent. <laughs> That's right, exactly. I think this, yeah. And if, I'm not infanticized. Yeah, so. Good old 
infanticide. Hashtag infanticide. Let's yeah, get that trending with Telecast Militia. <laughs> Yeah. Let's bring joys to everybody's day. Uh, let's, yeah, actually, let's let's not have let's not have that trend. I don't want the FBI knocking. You on know my what? Door. You're right. Let's do hashtag so. crib death in, in celebration of Inter Sandman <laughs> and the Black Album. Uh, yeah, hashtag disruptive family. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Uh, a quote what? from Lars Ulrich talking about this song from April 1991. He says, this is about people who take their responsibility on their shoulders, but find out the people they think they represent aren't really behind them at all. Does that make sense? <laughs> this is an actual quote. Does that make sense? We wrote it around Jason's baseline, sort of like Aerosmith's Sweet Emotion, which I get the reference, but it sounds nothing like Sweet Emotion. So I thought that was a funny comparison. Um <laughs> but yeah. I, I get the I get what he's trying to say. You know, it was the baseline came first, and the rest of the composition followed. Um, yes, yeah, sweet emotion, my friend of misery. <laughs> you couldn't be almost his opposite. But, but um, lyrically, you know, I I I feel like um, as far as, I feel like this song is not straightforward lyrically. But it is more so than other tracks mm-hmm. on the Black Album. Um, I, 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 I also think it's a similar topic that we see uh, come out of James Hetfield from time to time. Uh, it reminds me a bit of uh, lyrics you might find to a song like Atlas Rise, for example. So, I was, I was going to mention yeah, that. Yeah, just somebody you know trying to carry the world on their shoulders, and they're just um, you know suffering as a result. Yeah, it's about taking on, you know, all this responsibility and not being able to handle it. So and I think, again, it's, it, it is very relatable where you, where, you, where you do feel like you are over, overrun and overburdened with, um, you know, with different things in your life and Misery Loves Company, you know, right, right from the song itself. Yeah. So, yeah, and it's a little... A slight bit esoteric in its in its lyrics, you know, kind of like through the never, where you're like, "What the fuck? Like, what thirst stone from the sun? I don't, I don't fucking get it." <laughs> you know, this is, you know, this is, you know, this is a little bit more straight. This is, I would say, maybe more like a wolf and man, where it, on on the surface, it's you know, like that's about turning into a fucking werewolf, you know, <laughs> but it, you know, it's also about the primal, about the primal nature of, of right. man. And, and wanting more simple things in life, whereas my friend of misery, you know, takes on this whole. It's it's kind of interesting dichotomy of like the song about you just being miserable with all these things going on in your life, but there's like the music which in itself is so beautiful, like a like a like a dark luminescence to it. You know, it kind of balances. To, to me, balances out with this kind of depressing, daunting feeling that people have. Yeah, you know, it's it's almost like, in a way, it's like, don't worry, it'll, it'll be okay in the end, even though it never really goes into never. It's never explicitly right. said. Yeah, yeah. I think it's more the music is like, don't worry, like you're going through shit now. It'll be right in the end. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I also think too. I rem- 
there's a few songs in the Black Album, and this might sound like I'm uh, criticizing the lyrics, and I, I'm that's not my intention so much. Uh, is, is this is more just an observation? But there's a few songs in the Black Album where it seems like James Hetfield heard like a phrase, and it resonated with him, and then he based a whole song off uh, around it. And uh, like Holier Than Thou, like I feel like uh, you know he heard a phrase and then wrote a whole song about being holier than thou or, um, uh, and I, my, you heard crap. Like, I I, I'm eating gelatin. Exactly. I have to crap. What am I going to write about? Yes. No. I'll tell you, James, I wrote this riff, uh, for the black album. That's what we're going to call it. I named the album and I named this song and I wrote this song as I wrote all the songs. Here's the next hit, James. Uh, you're welcome. Your friend, love Dave. Oh boy! <laughs> Fucking Dave Mustaine. I, I can't. I can't even. I, I can't even do Dave. I, oh my god! I'm just impressed. It took over 90 minutes to get there. <laughs> well, I, I figure I'd respect the guy having the throat cancer, but uh, Listen, no, fuck I, it. you know, whatever. I, I respect so. that, and I, and I'm a Megadeth fan, and Dave Mustaine has been an influence on me, and. I, I feel like though we we can still we can still have our fun. He's he's you know it's all in good fun. Ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm, misery loves company. Mm. <laughs> well, that was and that was the line that sort of like you know stands out because obviously that's like a well known line, and I feel like you know Hatfield wrote uh, heard it read it. And was like, all right, that resonates. Let's write this. Let's write these lyrics based around the, you know, misery loves company. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he's been. I mean, James has been known to do that. In fact, going back, uh, I don't know why you keep going back to Harvester of Sorrow. That's that's my crux. Like, ever heard this song about baby killing? <laughs> but um, but he, in in the in the so what section of the website, he. Uh, there was a back, uh, like, there was like the whole back catalog of interviews, and he and James talked about for Injustice for All, like he heard this the word infanticide, wanted to know what it yeah. was, found out what it was, and he wrote a song around it. <laughs> yeah. So, well, it's like when they used to watch the news, yeah. and they're like, "All right, we can write a song about this." <laughs> or you watch a yeah. movie or read so a book, I, you, know? I, you know. There's nothing wrong with that, right? You know, like you know, you know, as legend goes. They're watching the Ten Commandments, and Cliff goes, "Whoa, it's like creeping death." Boom. <laughs> so, exactly. So, I mean, as far as with the lyrics and all that go, I do. I think everyone basically feels the same way. Where starting with Dyer's Eve on on Justice for All, the lyrics started to get much more inward, yeah. you know, much more personal, but also at the same time a lot more universal yeah. instead of like picking this particular point of view and then sticking to it. Where again, like we talked about with God that failed and in my friend of misery, um, which as some people say that that song might've been written indirectly about Lars. Hmm. Cause again, Lars is the one in the band who takes on the responsibility that no one else that's wants to do. I, I've not heard so, that before. Actually, that's actually a, uh... An interesting theory. Yeah. 
you know, or maybe I'm pulling out of my ass. I'm not quite sure, but <laughs> I've, I'm, you know, just like with the whole sampling bit, you know, again, you know, my mind is, you know, my mind's starting to go, well, but it, it is interesting, you know, like whether it is written about indirectly about Lars or not, it is interesting to see how James can take things like the passing of his mother because of her beliefs and maybe it maybe even with himself feeling like the weight of this album's success is on his lyrics, on his shoulders. Right. You know, maybe it's about him or about Lars, about the band, but taking these feelings that are so personal and in in response pointing them out back to the world, but being so universal and you can apply it to almost any situation. Yeah. That to me is really the power of James's lyrics. Or maybe he's not Tom Waits and he's not writing, you know, these soliloquies and you know the you know deep you know passion inspired poetry and limericks and mizamats and bizabats about <laughs> things that are going on in the world and you know within his soul but he is writing from a much more personal perspective yeah. and then taking that personal perspective and tweaking it just slightly so that you and I can talk about this 20 something years later and you and I can relate to these lyrics but maybe in different ways. Absolutely. It, so it, that's that that to me is the power of him. I, I, I agree. And that is a, a you know, that is a special gift. And I I I I will say to the day I die, um, you know, and I I know that people recognize that Metallica um have quality lyrics and you know they were called the Thinky Man's metal band and this and that, but I I I still think because I think because they're a heavier band um, and that even as like universally accepted as they are, they're still kind of on the outskirts of like the mainstream in some ways, which is weird to say, because, you know, they they'll be on the Grammys or do this or do that, but they also just kind of do what they want. Um, And maybe that has to do with it, but I feel like James Hetfield is uh, a really underrated vocalist and a really underrated lyricist uh, across like the music world. Yeah, even within the metal community too. Like, like how quickly people are quick to shit on his on his on his vocals. Yeah. You know, yes, you could do it. You know, live it's a whole it's a whole different thing. But vote, but studio wise, I mean, again, this album just he sings on the black album. Yeah. I don't think he's actually he's never really sung on on any album prior to the black album. You know, like yes, like he's singing like the, the hooks in the song. He's not just grunting and gruffing his way through the yeah. song and screaming and shouting and well, I mean, you know, and ripping his many, vocal cords out. How many uh thrash metal singers if you want to label I mean, they're obviously bigger than and more than thrash metal, but if if you want to Let's just use that as an example. How many thrash metal singers can sit down and do uh, a full acoustic set? How many how many metal singers can None. authentically um, pull off a song like Nothing Else Matters or a song like Mama Said or a song like Low Man's Lyric? You know, like he, there are there are singers that uh, have a great scream. There are singers that have a great voice and. Uh, there are singers that are technically more proficient, but he has such a soul. He has like an 
an unexpected soul to his voice and but at the same time has a lot of roughness and i like voices personally that are uh very like unique but a little rough around the edges like you mentioned tom waits before i love tom waits vocals if to most people Mm -hmm. he's just gonna sound like a drunk hobo on the on the streets which is kind of (laughs) what his songs are about too but but or like a johnny cash is one of my favorite like uh vocalists like people who have these strong voices but a little rough around the edges don't get me wrong i love dio and i love uh bruce dickinson and i love rob helford and i love freddie mercury and you know these things with these big ranges and you know these signature in you know almost operatic voices and uh i love all that too and uh, but there's something about like the rough soulful emotion-filled voices that comes across to me more and i don't feel like a like i've heard dave mustaine do acoustic (laughs) i don't want to ever hear it again (laughs) (laughs) but like and i and i can't picture um you know i can't picture tom Araya doing an acoustic thing i mean that's so outside what slayer would do anyways that would be odd but uh i can't picture him doing like an acoustic side project i can't picture um you know even like somebody with a uh a great voice like um uh like bruce dickinson he could sing anything but it you lose some Mm -hmm. kind of you lose a little bit of authenticity i feel like and like he would not be able to sing uh nothing else matters in the with the same rawness and the same emotion and yada 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 right i think the only person that that jumps out to me that could have would have been chris cornell oh yeah chris cornell is a rare species where he he had the rawness he had the soul he had the emotion and he had the range and he was like technically just uh could do other world things with his voices like he was he yeah, was kind of like if you took Freddie an Mercury and combined him with James Hetfield, you somehow got with like um with like uh some old school soul R and B singer, um like uh mm-hmm. you, you if if you blended all of that, then you had Chris Cornell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he would be the only one I could think of that could pull off like nothing else, Madrid, or even my friend of misery. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. for that example, he's the only one that I can think of off the top of my head that could you said it like correct like pointedly authentically yeah. pull it off where it doesn't feel forced it doesn't feel like he's doing it like an imitation of james hetfield which i feel a lot of people do right you know when they do metallica yeah. covers um well it's you know there there's that authenticity in that there's a genuineness that he could that he could do and that's the same thing with james's voice like there's a genuineness to his voice that I don't think can be replicated by anyone, yeah. which again makes him James. Well, and, and, and to your point too, how many people are, do you hear in metal rock and rock where like, you're like, Oh, they're doing the Heffield. Like they're like ripping off his out where they go like, they do the, yeah, like, you know, like a band, like, um, uh, a Godsmack or a Ben sevenfold. And, I'm not even talking trash about these bands. I'm not personal fans of theirs, but I, I'm, I'm not trashing them. It's just mm-hmm. you hear like that vocal style like come through down to the point where sometimes you're like, all right, they must purposely be doing it. You know, 
I like I like Volbeat a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's songs where I'm like, all right, he's doing the Hetfield. You hear him go like, yeah, <laughs> it's like, all right, well, you're you're playing, you're paying homage or you're borrowing, and that's fine. Everybody does that, uh, but it's such a unique mm-hmm. copied style now. Is my point? Yeah. Yeah, and even like just going back from Bowlby, just that kind of Johnny Cash meets Metallica meets the Misfits, <laughs> you know, kind, kind, you know, having that unique sound, you know, like there's just, just there's something to the power of Hetfield's voice, which tra- like can take these these words and make them mean a lot more. Yeah, absolutely. Like, even like let's let's say like let's if you pretend like Slayer covered the God had failed. Note for note, it would sound like trash you know, because it wouldn't be pulled off. Yeah, it would, it wouldn't be pulled off the well, same way. And the solo you know, would just be like random whammy bars and fucking noise. And... Yeah. 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 I want. I want. Yeah. It's like all... is, that a, is that a cat dying over there? Whole... But yeah. I, I just decided I want a whole black album tribute. Where Carrie King does all the lead, Dave Mustaine does all the vocals. Um, I'll, I'll think of who else is going to round out the band, um, but <laughs> God, that's a terrible <laughs> idea. It's it's, it, it's so it's so it's so terrible. It just has to happen. Uh, all right, let's have our buddy Ralph wrap wrap this up for us. Are you ready? Yes, I am ready. Rejoice, everyone, for we have a Jason Newsted writing credit. Believe this is two of only three. You believe correctly, Ralph, but I already said that. Thanks for stealing my thunder. <laughs> Anyways, Ralph writes, Apparently, this track was originally intended to be the instrumental track on the Black Album. You can kind of hear it as the instruments take you to several places during the song. But that idea was scrapped. Not sure why, though. Um... I think the reason that I came across was simply that they decided to add vocals. I know that sounds like a dumb answer, but right. that is the answer. <laughs> I don't think there was much. Yeah, that, I don't think there was like much thought. <laughs> sometimes the simplest explanation <laughs> yeah. is the explanation. Um, the bass line that begins the song and continues throughout as basically the main riff, guitars mimic it, is absolutely beautiful, yet mournful at the same time. That's a good description word for it, mournful. Uh, the lyrics seem to be about someone that continuously chooses to wallow in their own self-pity and eventually brings others down with them i swear this song could be about dave mustaine (laughs) that's funny i i'm not funny like i could see that ralph you (laughs) i could see that though i am the friend of misery yeah But also, you know, when they were writing the lyrics in 1990, 1991, I, I don't think James gave one single fuck about Dave I, Mustaine. It's a good it theory, a though. Good theory. Do you know that Dave Mustaine, um, on the Megadeth album, um, oh, I forget the name of the album now. It's the one that he did after the band broke up. It was basically like a solo record. There's, anyways... Uh, I'll think of it maybe. The world needs a no, hero. It was the one after that. It has like the the album covers like a line of like politicians and they're waiting in line. The system system is failed. Thank you. I, I it began with an S. I knew it. I was like on tip my tongue. The song "Something That I'm Not" is about Lars Ulrich. <laughs> that, really? That's the story. 
And it's a funny song because it's, you know, it's like, it's something that you are, it's something that I'm not. And then, like, he has, like, little, like, throwaway, like, stupid lines. Like, I, <laughs> I forget what they are, but it's like, you're just a doo-doo head. <laughs> I, I, no. I, I'm making it, I'm making it up. He doesn't say doo-doo head in the song, but he has, like, little snarky, like, remarks about it. He never name drops Lars Ulrich, but uh it it is it i'm not sure if it's been confirmed or not either but the story is is that he wrote that song about him and it's such a snarky um song i think his i now i have to it's been years since i've listened to it i think even his son dave mustaine's son i think like makes snarky comments in the song <laughs> Go listen to it, and you can tell me if I'm if my memory's correct. <laughs> I'm looking at the lyrics now. I'm like, oh man, gotta fail it is not. All sure. right, you have the lyrics pulled up. I'm sorry, Ralph. We'll get back to your comment. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah. What is it? Your mind tells me that you've lost your confidence. You're drifting, and you don't believe in anyone. To lose what what little you have left to be proud of. Afraid you can't do this again. Uh, <laughs> you say that nothing come in between us, the way of getting things we wanted done. Then in in Nesophobia? What the he hell? He read. He 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 looked up that word. <laughs> yeah, held you under influence until you compromise your style. It doesn't even rhyme. Everything about you has been one big charade. What will you do now that the wells run dry? Cry. Good, let's start and crying to sell all to sell out all your friends and stab them in the back. It's something that you are. It's something that I'm not. When you're when you force me into doing what you love, mark my word, no one loves you very much. Yeah. Mark yeah. Them. So he goes, mark my word, no one loves you very much. This is fucking yeah, stupid. <laughs> oh, fuck them. It's stupid. stupid. We all laugh at the parodies that so, you come. Now your pain slowly paid is begun. And before it. So this 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 part, right? It, it becomes, I think, more obvious that he's writing about Lars. Uh, not because I agree with what he's saying, just because I'm getting to Dave Mustaine's head now. He says, being a frog can only last mm -hmm. so long. You should know. Till what you sense as a child returns, you little baby. I think that's the line his sign, his son's in the sign. He's like, you little baby. <laughs> so and then he says, to choke out the voice that told you money and the fame would fill the crater that you dug for yourself. Unlike you, I'm no vision to myself, lest you forget. You didn't ever make metal, buddy. Metal made you. To crush and run over everyone along the way, it's something that you are. It's something that I'm not. I mean, when you when you look at a lyric like that, you're like, all right, obviously it's about somebody who makes metal. It's somebody who has money and fame, and it's somebody that supposedly crushed and ran over everybody along the way. Um, and, well, I mean, he he could be writing about you know um, Rockefeller. Is it Rockefeller who had U.S. Steel? Oh, who had that? You're bringing in current events now. <laughs> well, no, this is from like the 18th. I, I know, I know, but I just saw something on US Steel yesterday. <laughs> uh, yeah, Car he's, yeah, he's talking about fucking Andrew Carnegie. <laughs> yeah. What are you talking, who are you talking about? 
obviously, because he fucking makes um, metal. And he's... <laughs> he's a stranger to yourself. Ha! Yeah, you pissed me off again. I won't be driven by your needs anymore. What you'd become to do or be is clear to see for me. That's a mouthful. It's something that you are, something that I'm not. It makes me sick to hear you say you love me. I think this one came after some kind of monster, by the way. Um, I I know you only love what I can do for you. If you were the one that was leading the charge, would you notice if I missed a day or two? But that's impossible, because Dave would would never miss a day or two. (laughs) And then the the final lyric, we all laughed at the parodies that you'd become. Now your pain slowly paid back has now your pain slowly paid back has begun. So accept my resignation or in your words betrayal before it gets much worse and the self sabotage. So basically he's saying, you know, they ran over everybody to get what they wanted and now they're just parodies because uh they did some kind of monster insane anger, I guess. And then I mean, look it's two thousand nineteen. Look where you are, look where they are. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Well, that went in an unexpected direction. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, all right. So, to to look up in Nessophobia yeah. is the fear of criticism or committing a sin. Okay. <laughs> I guess um, I'm trying to think of like, or maybe he was experiencing that because he was not willing to accept, like his role and everything that happened in the early days. You know, I don't give a fuck. Whatever. <laughs> back to Ralph. Yeah, back to Ralph. Bring, bring us back. See Ralph. what you did, Ralph. Um, I swear the song could be about Dave Mustaine. I've had that feeling for quite some time after listening to and perusing the lyrics. However, I'm not in his head. So what do I know? It could even be autobiographical. James's vocal delivery is stellar as he alternates between the Hatfield's growl and his soft, clean voice. It also makes it seem as if he has some compassion for his protagonist. Guitar work here is fantastic, especially when you get to the short, harmonized Hatfield solo. Love those swells during the quiet part before this, too, which leads straight into a great solo from the Ripper. Kirk closes the tune with some killer licks. Lars also gets to play with some more percussive instruments as I hear a tambourine and more cowbell! Man, do I love this damn song. I've heard live versions, but I've never seen it performed live in person. Bumps me out, but at least I've got the album. Leave it to Ralph, am I right? I mean, you, we could have had this over with two hours ago. Just, <laughs> I think, I think you, should, you should just let Ralph write, and just, we, we just react to, to Ralph. It's like, yep, uh-huh, okay, done. So let's back, back to make well, Dave Mustaine, but he makes well, a point. Well, if my guest... If my guest cancels for the struggle within next week, I'm just reading what I'm just reading what Ralph writes. We'll call it a Metallicast mini. I'll just read it. It'll be about two minutes tops, and we'll call it a day. <laughs> oh man. Um, any other thoughts about my friend in misery, or even the God that fails? Before we wrap up here, Mr. Markovia. Um. Definitely great songs live. The the middle section, the misery, James was having him do the harmonized part with the crowd. That was that was amazing to be a part of. So yeah, um, I I do you know I am happy to see the guy that fell back in rotation. I would like to see my friend of misery you know make an appearance here and there. Would love to hear both of these songs, in particular misery on S and M too. Although I. I doubt that of the two, 
if any were to make S and M two, I would say God I Failed is probably the front runner for that. But you know, yeah, just I agree. Two solid, solid songs on arguably one of Met- you know, not arguably like one of Metallica's best records of all time. So beautifully said. Let's leave on that note. Nick, where can everybody find you on social media? See some of your awesome artwork and whatever else you got going on over there um, in Nick Bakoviak world. Yeah, Nick Bakoviak world. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> Insta- you know, Instagram's the best place to go. That's where my work is. You know, that's basically where I'm mostly active. I'm also on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Um, I was on MySpace 20 or like 10, 15 years ago. I don't think anyone does MySpace anymore. But, um, <laughs> you know, everything. If you want to see a dead MySpace profile. Yeah. <laughs> look them up. <laughs> look them up. I'm not, I, I, I don't even know how to log into the site anymore. Um, yeah, with the school year coming up, the easiest, you know, the most, the place I'm going to be most active will be Instagram. Because I do plan on being more artistically active, even though the school year is kicking in. Um but th- that's basically it. I don't really have. Well, actually, I can probably talk about this. Um, Mr. Clint Wells, his side project, Lunar Satan. I will be working on the. Yes. I will be working on the artwork for that album, EP, you should say. Awesome. So awesome. and just haven't been able to really discuss with Clint, you know, what his what his vision for it is because I always feel like my job is to you know fulfill that vision of like you know like the, of the client or whoever so you know i want to make sure we're on the right page with that and also i don't want to disappoint you know disappoint anyone who gets the it's going to be it's a it's going to be from my understanding physical um lp or ep i should say it's gonna be on vinyl cool so that'd be awesome yeah so we had i know like it's been you know he's talked about like he needs at least a hundred you know pledge pre-orders so whenever that gets you know, I'll put together, you know, I'll be, I'll be pushing that out on, you know, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, but, you know, as far as like the working on it, just need to, you know, just need to talk with Clint. I know he's on vacation in Japan, so I'm not going to fucking bother him about it. So, yeah. <laughs> so cool. I know like, yeah, I know you're, I know you're, you're on vacation, but uh, we talk about, you know, like devils and, you know, <laughs> and demons and things. So, you know, I'll be, <laughs> You know, I'll be working. You know, I'll be be working on that. You know, hopefully o- over the next few weeks. Um, other than that, just uh, keep myself busy doing some some other. You know, some drawings and paintings and teachings and you know, staying out of trouble. So awesome. Um, so find them on Instagram. And uh, for those of you not in the know, uh, if you listen to Metal Up Your Podcast, they had two really cool. EPs of all Metallica covers cover your world's black in volumes one and two that uh, Nick Markoviak did the cover art for. They're really cool. Um, they also have a volume three coming up, but I noticed somebody else did the illustration, yeah. uh, which makes sense if you're doing this other project as well. Yeah. Um, you know, they're all about spreading the love over there. Yeah. Yeah. I think I even had um, suggested that too, of like, because with volume three, it wasn't Metallica covers. Like they did, Right. Well, I and I liked that break because I, I feel like if they do like a volume four of Metallica covers, I would want your artwork back. But if they like, I, I like it. I like the separation of like the artwork and having the Metallica covers as in the non-Metallica covers. That was cool. Right. I thought. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was cool too. Like I wasn't, 
I wasn't like, oh, you know, fuck these guys. I was like, oh, good, like cool, you know. And I, and I liked the I liked the artwork too. Like I thought it was pretty cool. I think it had a little bit of like that, if I recall, maybe a little bit of like that, you know. Um, God, I can't think of the fucking the guy, the name. He did like the Rat Fink artwork, Big Daddy, Big yeah, Daddy yeah, Rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that had the yeah. flavor to it. But you know, like it, it, it's, it's always good to, you know, to have that different, like have different visuals, you know, which is why I love the, like with them doing like the concerts, you know, with you know each, you know, there's two artists doing two different concert posters for each, for each gig. I think is really cool, and right. seeing different styles, and it's not just always Pusshead or Richie Beckett or, or, uh, you know, or or even a couple, a couple other people. So. Um, you know, it's, it's yeah. good. So hopefully, you know, with Lunar Satan, I'll be dropping later on in the fall. I don't don't know exactly when, but um, you know, if you like uh, Merciful Fate and you like Venom and you like, um, you know, just re- you know, uh, you know, Ghost. If you like ridiculous songs about, you know, the devil on the moon, <laughs> you know, it, yeah. you're gonna enjoy it. So. <laughs> I mean, what's not to like about that? Nothing. There's nothing. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a fucking. You had me at Satan. You don't need to add the moon part. That's just icing on the cake. I know. <laughs> so check all that stuff out. A lot of cool stuff coming up. Um, follow Metallicas on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Metallicas Pod. Download the free app Flick Chat. I want the Metallicas Militia group to grow on there. It's a free app. Search the code Metallicast. You'll join our group. We're above 20 now. We're, we're small, but we're growing slowly and surely on there. Um, like I said, most people, Nick, who are on the show, have the app. And we talk uh, pretty regularly almost every day, especially uh, with these weekly episodes right. um, during the summer. I'm going to have to check it so, out. I, did, I didn't know about this until about two hours ago. So. so now you should have downloaded it two hours ago. You're behind the times. I know. Catch up. I know. um if you're not on there by the end of this week i'm I'm giving you a deadline if you're not on there by the end of this week i will have everybody else harass you on twitter until you join it would just be and that goes for every that goes for every single one of my followers (laughs) it goes for like it's just gonna be ralph like harassing me every day (laughs) ralph's a cool guy i hope so ralph's a good guy i love ralph hashtag be like ralph yes um if you want to contribute at all uh, on the final part of Black Summer, you can reach out on social media. You can send a message on FlickChat. You can leave a voicemail at the hotline, 203-548-0609. You can email metallicastatfans.experts.com. My goal, uh, in now that we're in our second year, is to just make as many ways as humanly possible for you to reach out and be a part of the show because I feel like the most important part of doing this podcast is connecting with like-minded and opposite-minded Metallica fans. Um, so check out all that. Download, subscribe, leave a positive review. You know where to find us if you're listening to this. Apple Podcasts, Google, of course our home site, fansonexperts.com, uh, which should be short-lived because by the time Nick and I launch our teaching podcast, uh, you'll find Metallicast, um, Corpse Paint, and whatever teaching podcast on the Brandon Metallicast Podcast Network. <laughs> or not. Um, <laughs> uh, 
This I've got to leave you with uh, our second cover of this episode, a cover, of course, of My Friend of Misery. This is from Metal Militia, a tribute to Metallica, is by a melodic death metal band from Sweden, a band that you would normally hear on the Corpse Paid podcast. My final plug for that. Let's see if we can get the listeners up to 11 this week. <laughs> this is a band called Dark Tranquility. Till next time, ladies and gentlemen. Metal up your ass. Yeah!
Not experts.